My friends, let us pray. Almighty God, as we come today and we make these offerings to you, we pray that you would take them and use them for the work of the kingdom of heaven in and around this place. Enable us to be your faithful witnesses, sharing the good news, inspiring others to a Christ-focused life, and transforming this community and beyond. Oh Lord our God, we come this day and offer these prayers of thanksgiving and prayers that you will take these gifts to do marvelous, miraculous things. Now Holy Spirit, come. Hallow this time. Set it apart. Let us hear your words, each to our heart. And Lord, speak to your church. May we not get in the way of the hearing of your message. So be it. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Uh, as we're continuing to worship today, we're going to uh, look at a scripture that tradition says the Apostle Peter uh, has written, though the verdict by many scholars is it's still out on that. Uh, but this general epistle or this encyclical is a letter that was sent to a number of churches in the first century during a time of intense political and cultural persecution of the church. It was written as a pep talk to the early churches. First um, Peter is a letter of encouragement. It was written to shore up the spirits of those persecuted Christians as well as to remind them who they are in the midst of the culture that they are surrounded by. Turn in your Bible to First uh, Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, 1 Peter is one of those small little epistle letters all the way to the back end of your Bible. If you get, it's almost there at the book of Revelation. Not quite, but almost there. So uh, go ahead and turn your Bible there. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 2. Now, Peter is writing to a church that was undergoing an identity crisis at the time as a result of the persecution a result of the Roman political pressure being exerted on the church. Uh, I want you to think Nero and the likes, okay? Uh, there was antagonism from other faiths like the Jewish faith community as well as the indigenous religions of the various regions the church would plant itself in. And then there was that age-old problem of Christian values being borrowed by the culture who follow the faith's form but dolefully lack in the faith's depth, purpose, and Christ-like expression. In other words, a deluded faith. In many ways, the environment surrounding the first century church is an environment that the church today finds itself ensconced. Church in America today, beloved, is losing its true Christian identity. Once considered a necessary part of our American ethos, it is viewed more negatively today than it has been just about in any point of our nation's history. Like the first church, or the first century, um, the Christian faith has been conscripted by politicians from as far back as Constantine, who decreed the Holy Roman Empire. You see, lest us forget the de declaration of the Holy Roman Empire was a political move, not a spiritual one. 
You see, Christianity expressed itself in four basic ways. You had the Roman Platonic understanding of the faith and of Jesus. You had a Persian Orthodox mystical understanding of Jesus. You had a very Jewish understanding of Jesus. And then over here in Egypt and Northern Africa, you had this Coptic, or you get to know Jesus if you know the secret knowledge. And what, what Constantine did, he said, listen, I want to unify all this land. So Christian church, get your act together and get on the same page. And so he, he um, made councils like the Council of Nicaea, where the church was to formulate what it believed about Jesus. So the Romans had a certain way, the Jews had a certain way, Constantine said, figure it out. Thank God, politics hasn't influenced the church in America today. Well, church in America today is ridiculed for being patronizing, sexist, homophobic, privileged, racist, and out of touch with who and where people are in the culture. The church has gone to incredible lengths to make itself quote-unquote user-friendly, and has adapted the cultural milieu instead of asking the culture to form itself to Christ's personality. Contemporary uh, critics of organized religion today, my friends, indict religious folks with one of two arguments, really. First, there's the one that reminds us that there is so little difference between the way a Christian acts and anybody else in the culture acts, what's the difference? And then the other argument they indict against us is that, um, you know what? Those uber Christians, you know, they are seen as too unreasonable for the common person to relate with. You know those uber Christians. I cite those pastors near Miami and Tampa Bay who continue to hold worship services, infecting um, hundreds of people in their worship services in the midst of this COVID crisis because it's their God-given right to do so. Beloved, the church today is in danger of losing its identity in ways, in the, in ways that the first century church did. And our text today calls for the church to sit up and reclaim her Christian identity and make a difference counterculturally in the world today. So listen to the word of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning with verses 1 or beginning with verses 2 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Peter writes, "Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to Him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, you see, I am laying a Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, as it says in Scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And later on, a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved, the good news of the gospel that we read today is this. The church is in a perfect position to disengage from its Constantinian shackles of reacting to and reflecting back to the surrounding culture, its demands. The opportunity lies before us, church, as Rodney Clapp, former editor of Christianity Today, writes, that it's a thoroughly Christian identity which needs to emerge as a culture in its own right in our world today. My friends, now is the time for the church to truly be counter-cultural. Now, how does our text today suggest that we do that? Well, first we are to return to the font of goodness, to be nourished by God and not by the culture. Second, our text says that we are to build upon the foundation stone, the cornerstone of our faith which is Jesus Christ. And then third, we are proudly to reclaim our identity as God's peculiar people. Now Peter, he instructs you and me to be like infants who are yearning, who are rooting for, who are craving spiritual milk so we can grow up strong in our salvation. Now friends, let us not forget how a hungry baby sounds and acts when it wants to eat. How do you know when an infant wants to eat? That's right. They cry, they scream, they get fussy until the nipple is in the mouth and they are able to drink. They're hungry. They are craving mama's milk and will not stop letting you know until they're satisfied. We know that breast milk is good for newborns and that it is full of essential nutrients and antibodies from the mother. There are no chemical additives. Pure. It's warm. You see, one of the reasons the church has lost its identity is that over the years it has sought its spiritual grounding in things other than Christ. It is rooted for milk that is not in the Bible. 
We, the church, has, have lost our identity because we have made the best-selling book in history the least read in our world. In one LifeWay study, it's reported that 32% of American Protestants read their Bible daily. Just a third. As quoted in an article on biblical literacy, the authors muse, they say, perhaps Google has really made us stupid, and we've lost our ability to concentrate. Perhaps we are surrounded by too many distractions. For some, the Bible gets displaced by Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or Disney+. For others, for those Martha types in the church, the Bibles could be crowded out by feverish serving and activities of doing good. But for many others, it's more subtle, the writers say. And then the article asks you and me, what's your excuse? The question of Christian identity, my beloved, emerges by asking ourselves, where am I getting fed? What am I being fed by? Yet, our identity is also defined upon the foundation upon which we build. Is the foundation that we build our life on the American dream? If so, what does that mean even now when returning to normal makes no sense? Is it money? Is it stocks? Is it bonds? Is our identity found in our real estate or the power you perceive that you have or I have in our jobs and our professions? Friends, the American dream isn't bad. Normal is not necessarily a bad thing. Money, real estate, professional influence are not bad in and of themselves. However, the facts on the ground in our world today is that a lot of Christian identity in the West is founded upon our nationalism, our party affiliation, our bank account, our stock investments, as opposed to being shaped and built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, who is straight, who is true. We have lost our identity, beloved, by allowing our culture to shine light on our faith and not vice versa. Our grounded identity in Jesus Christ gives meaning to our dreams, our sense of social justice expressed through our politics, as well as how we uh, are faithful trustees with the provisions that God has given us. The hard question Peter is asking us is whether our identity is built upon the cornerstone, the foundation of Jesus Christ, or is our spiritual underpinning and identity built upon the shifting foundations of a fickle culture and what culture deems is important. Finally, how do we regain our Christian identity? 
we regain it by totally embracing the fact that we are church. As Christians, we are God's peculiar people. I love that. God's peculiar people. Verse 9 in our scripture today reads, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. And then I looked at the King James Version and it had a refreshing um, way of saying the same verse. The King James translates verse 9 this way. It reads, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. See, to be God's people means that we're a peculiar people. That we should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you and me out of darkness into marvelous light. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood church, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I love that. As Dr. Clapp mentioned earlier, this is the church, church's grand moment to stand up and to be countercultural in our larger culture. This is what we were created to be and to do for Jesus. This is our chance to rise up as a peculiar people who are the foils to the culture and people around us. You see, when culture looks at Christians, at the church, we should expect that they view us as a peculiar people. We're peculiar because we don't espouse party planks, but rather embrace the challenge of living our lives with a deeply committed sense of justice, grounded in selfless giving and love. We're a peculiar people, beloved, because we don't identify ourselves with whom or what we are for or against, but we are known as people who are strident about who and what they believe. We're a peculiar people because we identify with the lost, not the found with the last and the least, not the first and the best, with the down and out as opposed to the high and mighty. We are a peculiar people, beloved, because we are not impressed with power, but we are infatuated with the humble who choose to be last in line. Beloved, what shapes, mold, molds your Christian character and identity? How are you getting nourished? With fatty spiritual carbohydrates that make you feel fat and happy and comfortable or through the pure spiritual milk of God? Which provides the foundation and cornerstone for your spiritual life? Is it the whims of the culture or is it the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? Do people 
know that you and I are peculiar people? Or are we just part of the flow that they see every day? And they wouldn't know that we are a Christian, not even by our love, but they wouldn't know it if we hit them on the back of the head. Friends, let's reflect on our Christian identity. And let's make effort to reclaim it. Pray with me. Spirit of eternal life, we give you thanks for scriptures that challenge and force us to look at ourselves and your church in new ways. We ask, Spirit, that you would um, wholly invigorate us to respond to how we are to shape our identity. Help us to find spiritual nourishment from pure, good sources. Let us build our foundation on Jesus and Christ alone. And Lord, may you give us the grace to be seen as peculiar people in the world who lead with love and laughter and joy instead of dourness, sourness, and hate. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. My friends, Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And he wants to come in and have supper with you and you with him. If you would like to profess or reprofess your faith in Jesus Christ or learn what does that mean, I would invite you to please contact the church and speak with me, Pastor Nick, Pastor Pam, and we would love to tell you all about that. My friends, as you go this day, go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face to you and smile sweetly and brightly and give you peace. Go in peace. Amen. And now we take the Christ candle and we take the marvelous light out with us into the dark world. So I invite you to get your candle and let us extinguish it together, taking the light of Christ with us. Amen.